We were going to try something a little different. We'll see if it works. It's all right if it doesn't work. We don't have to invest that much into it. Has anyone ever seen this movie, Anger Management? It came out a number of years ago. Yeah. It's all right, Cassia. Okay. All right, I'll give you a second. your headset she's been here right now but it's coming for crying out loud you're missing important plot points ma'am could you give me a second sir could I maybe get that headset please do not raise your voice to me, sir. I wasn't raising my voice. Okay, just calm down. I am calm. I just want my headset. Sir, our country is going through a very difficult time right now, and if you're not going to cooperate... Oh, no, I'm going to cooperate. My plan is to get the headset from you, watch the movie, and laugh in a very cooperative way. Are you a problem here, sir? I don't, I don't think so. Can you come to the back of the plane with me so we can have a talk? But talk about what? There's not a problem. The flight attendant keeps ignoring me when I ask. Calm down. I am calm. What is it with you people? You people. Oh, no, wait a minute. I don't mean you people. I mean you people. Sir, I will not tolerate any racist behavior on the plane. This is a very difficult time for our country. I, I know that. I'm not a racist, but I just want to watch the movie. I'm only going to say this one more time, sir. Calm down. I'm calm! <laughs> Thank you, ladies. <laughs> it has been said that good comedy attempts to look at the absurd within our culture that we might laugh at ourselves. The sad thing is not too many people are laughing. A couple of years ago, Psychology Today published an article entitled Anger is Becoming an Epidemic in Our Country. Recently, um, an opinion piece in the Washington Post written by a guy by the name of David Vondrell wrote, No ignorant remark by a city council member or grade school teacher concerning guns, God, or gays is immune to exploitation. No hurtful graffiti scrawled by drunk teenagers is wiped away without a round of internet hand-wringing. The oversupply of controversy is bottomless because some human somewhere is always indulging a thoughtless blurt, and social media seduces us to publish our blurts 
for the world to overhear. What the Lord has been putting on my heart today and really for several months is this idea of anger and anger in our society. And one of the really good things I know this morning is there is at least one person that this sermon is for, and that's the guy who's actually giving the sermon. So I pray that maybe you see yourself somewhere in here, because I know any of you that know me, especially if you've kind of known me, gotten to know me outside of the church, especially when I'm working on things like cars, right, Tammy? I can have some, some anger issues, okay? Now, hopefully I don't use bad words, but I certainly there's some wrench throwing and some other types of things. And the Lord has begun to work on me and speak to my heart about my anger. Because one of the things that I've realized is, as I get older, one of the things I'm realizing is I really don't know very much. And the second thing that I'm realizing and God has really put on my heart is that I have really two options. I really can either walk by faith through whatever I'm going through or I can fall to what we see much of the world falling to and that's anger which ultimately leads to cynicism. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, We humbly come before you, and we ask, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts. We live in what seems like such an angry society at times, and one group pitted against another, and yet you have called us as your followers to a very, very different way. Lord, we pray a lot only would you show us the error of our ways, that you would show us when we are living just like the world around us. Lord, not that we might feel guilty and shamed because that's not how you are, but that we might be changed more and more into your likeness, that the world might see more and more of you in us. Speak to us, Lord. Your servants are listening. Please turn with me to James chapter 1. We're going to... Be there for a little while this morning. Now, although anger, and I'm going to be looking at Father Don here. If I see him shaking his head, I'll know I've gone a little bit astray. I don't know when I was preparing this, and I don't know if this was the Spirit giving me a little comic relief or whatever. I saw Father Don kick back at his desk reading his this month's uh, version of Psychology Today, and I don't even know if that's something you read. Probably not, but... <laughs> That's what I thought. I just got a chuckle out. I was like, that was weird. <laughs> Although anger is a valid emotion, it is not who we are called to be. In fact, we are called to be angry when we see injustice. We are called to be angry when we see other people being hurt. The problem is anger is not ultimately supposed to be our response. And in fact, I believe Anger in our society today has more to do with our narcissism than anything else. I get angry when things do not go my way. I get angry when people say things that don't agree with what I believe. I get angry. James, in his letter to the church, and I, James is probably one of my favorite books in the Bible. 
Um, interestingly enough, James also was a fairly controversial book, certainly in the Reformation. Um, Martin Luther called it an epistle of straw. He thought it should just be burned up, right, because he didn't like it, because he believed that James was talking in his letter about somehow gaining our salvation by works. But I've done a little bit of studying on that, and James is not actually talking about our justification as Christians. We are justified because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. James is talking about authentication. What does it look like to be a Christian? Are we authentic in our faith? Or are we simply saying words, right? Be ye doers and not just hearers of the word. In verse 19, my dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. James is calling us to an active faith. That active faith is saying something like, we should first be willing to truly listen to someone. Now, I will tell you, if I'm responding out of anger, I immediately shut down listening, right? The minute I take offense or I'm angry, I'm not listening at all. In fact, if I'm listening at all, I'm already calculating in my mind how I'm going to prove you wrong. That is not what James is talking about. Slow down. Listen. Let go of that narcissism that we all have, right? That desire to be right, because that is where anger stems from. James continues, be slow to speak. You see, for you and I, as followers of Christ, our response to whatever anybody is saying is to be led by the Holy Spirit. Not our own opinions, not our, certainly not our anger. And yet, I don't know if you're like me, that's a lot of times where I find myself. Finally, in verse 20, James says, For a man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Anger is not the answer. It does not bring about a righteous life in us. It is, in some ways, the antithesis of living by faith. Because what we're doing is living by saying, I'm right, and I've now been offended. One of the reasons I believe in our society that we are addicted to anger is that when I am angry, I become a victim. It's someone else's fault. Therefore, it is the other person or group that needs to change and not myself. And you know what? It's not who we are. Therefore, get rid. Get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Rid yourself of that anger and humbly accept the word. I love James's choice of words here because humility and anger cannot stand in the same place. The minute I am willing to humble myself, I have to drop that anger. And I loved Deacon's picture. It's one of my favorite movies, The Mission, when he drags that up there. And one of the things about that is, and I know Deacon only had a moment, 
But in that scene, that Indian fellow that cuts that rope, he had every reason to want to do that man harm because they had known him as a brutal soldier who had brutalized their villages and stolen from them and killed people. And yet he chooses to cut away all of that junk that he's trying to drag up that mountain. And I wonder for you and for me how much stuff we're trying to drag up a mountain sometimes. So what is God's will for us if it's not anger, even righteous anger? I would say to you that God's will for us looks very different. I don't know about you, but as I kind of got older and came back into the church, and probably even when I was in the church as a teenager, there was always a lot of talk about finding God's will. What is God's will for your life? You know, what is it that God wants you to do with your life? And I think that that is really, really important But there are a couple places in Scripture where it clearly states what God's will is for us, for each and every Christian. If you would turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 15. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. Isn't that what a lot of anger is? But always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. And I would like to propose to you this morning that thanksgiving is the medicine for what ails us. Thanksgiving is the medicine for what ails us. When we move from anger to thanksgiving, we can then hear God. We can know then His will for us and His calling on our lives. But if we find ourselves locked in that vicious cycle of anger, we're not humble. In fact, we're simply locked in ourself. And it makes it impossible to hear what the Lord is trying to say to us. In just a minute, I'm going to introduce you to two historic figures. Uh, one of the things that the Lord has put on my heart for about the last six months, I've been reading a lot of biographies. I find it kind of interesting that in our society, it seems like, and I always complain about this to my kids, it's just one superhero movie after another. And no offense, I know that Lucy's already shaking her head at me. It's just one superhero movie after another. And in fact, when they can't think of a new one, they just make the same one over again. Get some different actors in there. Spider-Man. But the reality of it is, the saints and those that have gone before us, those are our superheroes. Okay? And a lot of times we can see in their lives how they dealt with the times in which they lived. And so we're going to look at two people. One of them is going to be come from thousands of miles away, back around World War II, and the other is going to come from not so distant past, right from our own backyard. Even Peter seems to have difficulty this morning when the Lord tells him after Peter makes that amazing proclamation, you are the Christ. And then Jesus says, 
I am, and this is what the Christ is about to go through. Peter didn't really like that. I, I would say he didn't even really want to hear that, right? Because that didn't go along with his plan. You see, Peter probably, and I don't want to ever put words into one of the disciples' mouths, that Peter probably had the view of the Christ, the coming Messiah, that most Jews did at that period of time. That he was going to deliver them from the Romans. Not that he was going to die on a cross. And so Peter, in his anger, Scripture says, pulls Jesus aside and rebukes him. He rebukes him. To which Jesus invites Peter to take up his cross and follow. I can't imagine what was going through his head. I cannot imagine what was going through his head. We are called to be a people of thanksgiving. In fact, the central part of our worship this morning will be in the, what the Orthodox faith calls the great thanksgiving. All right? In a few minutes, we will partake in the Eucharist. We will come to bring thanksgiving to the Lord. And just as God always does, in our thanksgiving, He is going to pour blessing upon us as He gives us His body and blood. The thing is, it's never supposed to end there. When the deacon extinguishes those candles on the altar, he's not extinguishing them because he's saying, hey, we're done, it's time for everybody to go home. He's extinguishing them because he's saying, the light of Christ is now in you. Take that light out into the world around you. Be the light of Christ to whomever you meet. And I can't do that very well by being angry. I might want to sometimes, but I can't. And so I want to introduce you to two people, and that's going to kind of be where I conclude this sermon this morning. The first one is a lady by the name of Maria Skoptsova. Now, she was, <laughs> by all accounts, an unlikely saint. She will become known as Maria of Paris in the Orthodox Church when she's, um, I don't know if they call it canonized within Orthodoxy, but probably something very near that. She is born in 1891 to wealthy, wealthy parents. In fact, she'll become a poet. She'll kind of live the high life. She's going to be married and divorced twice. She was quite the smoker and drinker, evidently. Not the kind of person that we would think would become a saint. But she lived in the Ukraine, and the Ukraine at that period of time was a troubled place because a guy by the name of Lenin, some of us might remember that name from our history books, was terrorizing what was quickly becoming what would be the Soviet Union. In fact, at one point, she is almost killed by direct order of Lenin. She has to bury one of her young daughters and goes through this very, very painful experience. She is actually has to escape from the Ukraine and flee to Paris. Paris was one of the few places they could go. And the interesting thing was, instead of being angry, she began to hear God. God's call on her to be a mother to all of these fleeing immigrants who were pouring into France. Most of them had nothing. She will open several food pantries. She will open homes where people can live in. 
It said that she would go days without eating just so that she could provide that food to someone that needed it most. And she was anything but orthodox. One bishop wrote of her the first time that he saw her. I was simply staggered when I saw her for the first time in monastic clothes. She would become a nun through all of this. I was walking along the boulevard Montreprenais, and I saw in front of a cafe on the pavement, there was a table. On the table was a tall glass of beer, and behind the glass of beer was sitting a Russian nun in full monastic robes. Sounds like my kind of nun. In 1940, when Paris falls to Nazi Germany, she will be taken prisoner. Eventually, she will end up at Ravensbrück concentration camp, where she will endure about five years of life in the concentration camp. During that time, she will read the Gospels daily to the other prisoners. She will smuggle in food. She will visit with anyone that wants to talk. It is said of her that she was never downcast, never. But the Lord's praise and thanksgiving was on her lips. For she believed it a privilege to be called to be in that place to minister to God's people. On March 30th, 1945, Maria is led to the gas chamber where she will die. Some say that she went in place of someone else, as so many of the saints did during that very, very trying time in the world's history. Father Michael Plekton writes, Mother Maria's life points us to a fundamental reality, namely that the Christian's commitment is not primarily to a heritage, to structures of the past, nor even to visions of what the future should be. Rather, each Christian, monastic or cleric or layperson, is called to real life, life in the church and the world as we find it, an encounter with God, oneself, and our neighbor in need. Second person whom I know probably everyone here knows, certainly when I grew up in grade school, her, we, were, we were told her story. She was born Rosa McCauley in Tuskegee, Alabama. She would later marry and become Rosa Parks. A few people know really the circumstances of her life, and fewer people even know what really happened on that faithful day that she, quote, went on to a city bus and, as I was taught in school, sat where white folks were supposed to sit. And let me tell you something, growing up in California, that seemed crazy to me, that that ever happened in history. But sadly, it did. It goes much, much deeper than that. Rosa will live her entire life in the segregated South. For all intents and purposes, at a young age, she becomes fatherless, as her father first stops providing for the family and then just disappears. But Rosa, even in the midst of the segregated South, in this period of time, the Ku Klux Klan has kind of on the rise now, and they are moving violently in communities to suppress this idea of equality. Rosa never becomes bitter or angry. 
As a young girl, it is said that she had to actually sleep in her clothes. Her grandfather, who was where, where she actually ended up living a lot of her life with her grandparents, he slept with a shotgun and taught them to sleep in their clothes because they never knew when they might have to get up in the middle of the night and run out. Rosa writes years later that her favorite psalm was the 27th psalm. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And although she was saddened by what she saw and experienced, she was determined that justice would prevail. We were always taught that she had gone on that bus seeking to make some bold stand, but in actuality, she was not even sitting in the white section of the bus, but was in fact sitting where she was supposed to be sitting, but evidently the law was, if a white person came on and there wasn't enough seats in the white section, that a black person had to get up and allow them, and that the bus driver was basically deputized to enforce the law. She had been working all day. She had worked a 12-hour shift as a seamstress in a clothes store. She was simply tired. And she was told by the bus driver to get up and move, to stand, basically. That's actually what she refused to do. The more amazing part of it was, the reason she became so famous is because there were folks that were looking for someone like Rosa, who was honest and good to be a case that they could use to bring before the courts. But the one thing Rosa never was willing to do, she was never willing to tell an untruth. In fact, they wanted to say, they asked her several times, did the police abuse you? Did they say anything to you? She said, no, they didn't. Are you sure? You see, that opportunity, right, to be angry, that opportunity to take things in our own hands, she said, they did not. They did not. In her book, Quiet Strength, Rosa wrote, As a child, I learned from the Bible to trust God and not be afraid. I felt the Lord would give me the strength to endure whatever I had to face. Most, a lot of people don't know later in Rosa's life, she will actually live in Detroit, Michigan uh, for a long period of time. will open homes for young girls there. will minister the gospel to the hurting and the downtrodden for most of her life. And so I believe in closing that our invitation today is to take up the cross. And that cross might be whatever you're going through, whatever circumstance you're finding yourself in. And instead of being angry about it, be thankful. Be thankful, as hard as that might be. And all things give thanks, for when anger comes, as it surely will, we must choose to lay it down, to take up our cross, and to follow the Lord. C.S. Lewis once wrote to his dear friend Don Giovanni Calibri, we ought to give thanks for all fortune, if it is good, because it is good. If it is bad, because it works in us patience humility, and the contempt of this world and hope for our eternal country. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, that that would indeed be our hope. 
that as we receive the body and blood of your precious Son, broken and poured out for us, that we would be delivered from anger. That we would go out into the world not angry, but filled with joy and thanksgiving. For you have promised that if we eat and drink, you would abide in us and we in you. Lord, help us to keep our eyes on that heavenly city where our promise comes from, that we might live for you and you alone, and that we might learn to love those whom you put around us. We pray this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. I asked Father Mark, I think I have a couple of minutes left, hopefully I do. Last month, we completed two years of food pantry ministry. Amen. Amen is right. In 1 Thessalonians, we read this. We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to just take just a couple of minutes to really thank this church. Um, to begin with, I want to thank Father Mark and Stacy. When I brought, when the Lord put this food pantry on my heart quite some time ago, um, I really didn't know how Father Mark would receive it. And running a food pantry is not kind of like a it's not like a glitzy ministry. In fact, for those of you that work the food pantry, you know, sometimes the people aren't even that nice, right? Um, and yet, God has used it. God has not only used it to provide food. In the last two years, as of last, uh, last month, we have given out just a little over 50,000 pounds of food. Currently, we are ministering to about 230 people a month. And even more importantly, a lot of those people that come to this church, we'll see them sit in the back week after week, and slowly they move up. Slowly, eventually, they come forward, and they even take Eucharist, and then they ask for prayer. I've seen people leaving this church weeping. And it's not because they were hurt or they felt judgment here. It's because they felt the peace of God. And he felt his hand upon them. And make no mistake about it, although I'm the one that God gave the idea, there is absolutely no way that that food pantry would happen without you. Whether it's your giving, whether it's those that actually come week after week to put the bags together, to, we call Miss Linda the gatekeeper, because she keeps everything kind of in order, to... to Funnel the people in and, and have order. And believe it or not, sometimes that's not, you laugh, it's not that easy sometimes. To those who pray, who just listen to what's going on in these folks' lives. And so, I want you to know, even though I may not say it, and I know sometimes, maybe even on Tuesdays, I might seem angry. Probably just more frustration. And, so forth. and I'm really working on that. So please pray for me. That I thank you. 
And I love you from the bottom of my heart. And I pray that God has much, much more to do with that. And so I want to invite you to be in prayer. How is it that God wants to use you to bless those in need in our community? Amen? Thank you, Father.